Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Fits on Fantasy podcast. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. I write for thefootballgirl.com, where you can currently find my 2019 fantasy football rankings, along with all sorts of other interesting football content. My Twitter handle is at Fitz underscore FF. So good to have you here with me today. There's a little extra pep in my step this week, because this is the week that pitchers and catchers report to spring training. And I'm a little more anxious for the start of the baseball season than usual because this is the rare year that the outlook appears bright for both my Milwaukee Brewers and for my fantasy baseball keeper league team. And the phrase pitchers and catchers report is a romanticized one for baseball fans. And I think it might mean a little more to those of us who live in the upper Midwest or the Northeast because those words carry the promise of warmer weather ahead. We have been dealing with snow and ice and frigid temperatures for a few months now, and the thought of watching a ball game on a warm night with a cold beer in hand is pretty nice right about now. But it's not baseball season yet. It's football season. It's always football season. And today I'm going to talk football with one of the preeminent voices in fantasy football. My guest will be the great Sigmund Bloom of footballguys.com. I promised that I was going to be bringing on some good guests in the weeks and months after the Super Bowl, and I think Sigmund qualifies as an A-lister. If there were a Mount Rushmore for members of the fantasy football media, I would like to think that Sigmund's bespectacled face would be chiseled upon it. So enough of my jibber-jabbering. It's time to bring in Sigmund. I am now joined by one of the foremost voices in the fantasy football media, Mr. Sigmund Bloom, co-owner of Football Guys, which for a very long time has been one of the best and most useful websites for fantasy football owners. It's also one of only a small handful of fantasy sites that I myself subscribe to. And Sigmund is also a prominent voice on one of the oldest and most beloved fantasy football podcasts, The Audible, and his podcasting endeavors include the ever-popular on the couch podcast, one of my personal favorites. Find him on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund, my friend, long time no talk. Welcome to my humble little show. Oh, Pat. But yeah, it's been too long, first of all. Um, and, and we, we got to do this more often in 2019, visiting each other's humble little shows. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Really, I just like uh, talking to all the great people in our fantasy football world. And um it's fun. It's fun to be here. And of course, you know how it is. No sleep for us. Uh, it's the barely the off season and we already have a lot to talk about. Yeah. These are supposed to be the doldrums, the horse latitudes of the football calendar and not at all the case the last couple of days. So yeah, there are definitely a lot of fantasy topics I want to talk to you about, but first segment, I need to ask you about your recent move. Sure. You left a great American city 
Austin, Texas, and relocated in arguably the greatest American city, New Orleans. And it's funny, Sigmund, sometimes a person and a city just seem like they would be a great fit for one another. And it was not hard to imagine Austin being a good fit for you, but it seems like New Orleans and Sigmund Bloom would be just a perfect match. So have you found that to be the case so far? And what prompted the move? Yeah, sure. Thank you for being indulgent. And, and I appreciate your level of discourse talking about horse latitudes. And if we're talking about um, navigation at sea, New Orleans fits very prominently in that story. Um, yeah, I've always romanticized New Orleans since the first time I came here. I heard the siren song. And the only reason I even had a chance to come here is because I moved to Austin, sight unseen in 1997, really on the advice of the movie Slacker. Um, and Austin, and I don't want to turn negative, but Austin doesn't feel the same as it did when I got there. Um, New Orleans, in some ways, I'm sure people that live here would say it doesn't feel the same as it did before Katrina and going back further in time. And I think it's a hallmark of people from Austin. Going back to like the 1850s, they said, oh, people are moving here and ruining it. I mean, they've been saying that in Austin the whole time. Um, and yet there's still something there that is very valuable and singular. Um, but yeah, the, what prompted moving here was uh, just a, an opportunity to, um, honestly, it was something I think the siren song was pulling me here. And being here, um, being a romantic, I could go on and on, Pat about what it is about New Orleans. I just said this on a show with Alex Dunlap earlier this week, though, is you know, one of the things you'll hear is, don't think of New Orleans as the least organized city in the U.S. Think of it as the most organized city in the Caribbean and um, island time and and so on and so forth. But I want to try to reduce the, this city, which really in some ways c- contains the whole universe, uh, down to just a few phrases or sayings or things like that. But definitely... The, it's a dip, different value system, a different the metronome of the of the day, the week, the month, the year moves differently here. Um, it's more about living in the moment, absolutely. It's more about being part of, of this grand play that's coming up here, Mardi Gras, right outside my window, and uh, it's it, it's fit like a hand in a glove. And I say that, and the honeymoon pat, I'm sure will be over at some point, and I'll go on a show and say, well, let me tell you other things because there's a dark side to new orleans just like there's a dark side to every city a dark side to all of us you said right outside your window segment are you like right in the french quarter i'm in uh, lower garden district and from my balcony i can see the saint charles uh avenue streetcar as it goes by i can hear it, it vibrates our place which is wonderful i can hear the boats out on the mississippi giving their lonesome calls um and just the the, the the sense of place here is incredible. So yeah, the parades will be right there, which we might feel like maybe it won't be such a great thing because I've been to Mardi Gras once and it's a typical Mardi Gras story, which I won't get into. It's an epic story though. Um, involves all kinds of things. Um, the, it's it, it, Mardi Gras is kind of like when the floodgates are open for like humans, mass consciousness spirit, you know, like things like a frenzy things get whipped into a frenzy it happens other cultures and other places you know um something like the energy like at kumela in india or at mecca or something like that like it's a complete it, it, um, release but it's in the spirit not of necessarily reverence or um piety it's in the spirit of let's celebrate because tomorrow who knows what's going to happen Tomorrow's Lent, actually, on Mardi Gras, you know, so you get the idea, like things are going to get tough 
So let's let it all hang out and let's not always worry thing. Yeah, now everyone has these uh, ideas about New Orleans and what makes such a great, such a unique place. But are there any unexpectedly cool things about the city that you've discovered? Well, I suppose if I say something's unexpected, it probably just reflects on how much of an acolyte I am. Um, but I record collecting here. I collected records in, into the 90s, and I grew up with like my parents' record collection. Um, and there's so many record stores here, and there's so many 99-cent bins. Euclid Records alone uh, over in Bywater has a 99-cent section that takes me about an hour to just go through everything and i always find great records i always find like i found madman uh across the water you know an elton john, amazing elton john record for 99 cents um and i'll go off on a tangent here about vinyl and i i don't know how old you are pat but i get the you know you're not i can tell you're not a millennial um from our music conversations and um i vinyl i'm i love music i'm as passionate about music as anything which is another reason I'm here uh, or heard the siren song here. But listening to vinyl is I'm turning music into a ritual. And because of just the careful nature of taking the record out, putting it on the uh, turntable and the anticipation, hearing the needle hit the record, you know, that the, when the needle hits the record is um, it means more than music. You know, the idea of the needle going on the record and the sense of anticipation, it's like kickoff. It's like when everyone's lined up right before the kickoff and the, art um and of course the music being mixed for that format um and i i'm i'm building a record collection again and it's it's just it's a joy and i recommend anybody if you had vinyl in your life to go back to it revisit it you are getting me nostalgic for my childhood segment and, and growing up mm -hmm. with that you know the exactly. parents record collection and you know all the all the great stuff looking at the art flipping it over not even understanding the images but letting them wash over you and looking back and you were looking at like emerson lake and palmer or you were looking at the cover of like dark side of the moon right man that's I, that's part of the what i miss about that era and uh you know what's lost in the digitized music era is just like the album art the um, you know, just a, music could be a visual experience too with albums. Mm -hmm. It's more like going to a movie. Yeah, exactly. And uh, plus the richer sound, just fantastic. Oh man, it's good to hear that there's a thriving vinyl scene in New Orleans. What about the food? It has to be hard not to put on weight when you live in a city known for its culinary delights. Well, here's the good thing. Um, it's an eminently bikeable city now. It's flat. Um, and, you know, it's just on river silt, basically. That's the land underneath New Orleans that's sinking. Um, so you can ride your bike a lot, um, a lot of dancing. Uh, and I think that you're know, getting into the whole heaven and hell or angel and devil, like the angel and devil inside of us all. Uh, you Because the food is so some, – this is the idea of like Mardi Gras then Lent, you know, because the food is so sumptuous and delicious. I mean, truly the word delicious. I mean, there's food here that makes me – um, emote like like audibly. I'll eat something, and I'll, as I'm eating, I'll go. It's, se it's sexual, really. Let's cut right to the. Let's cut right to the chase. You know, Te Central Texas barbecues like that too, like a Franklin brisket. It's as good as the hype. Don Fong King Cake, and I know this probably makes me to true New Orleanians sound like uh, again like a, a newbie, but you know that King Cake and so many other things. And you learn your favorites. There's the there's food in gas stations here that you will go out of your way to get. It's just the gas station fried chicken scene, Pat, 
And I'm sure you're, you're, are you Chicago? Yeah. And I'm sure that if you get to know the neighborhood grid of a city like Chicago, you will find the similar hidden delights, you know, things that have been left intact from the cultural tradition going back hundreds of years that people who know, know. And it's almost like getting to sneak into a room and overhear a conversation that was, isn't really for you. But, you know, it's, it's the kind of stuff, again, like, let's get nostalgic again, like when you overhear um, the adults talking when you're a kid and you get a sense of what they're talking about is really important or a big deal, but you don't quite can't quite tell. Um, and some of the food feels like that. It feels like a privilege, like almost like you're stealing something from the gods. You know, you got to the gods little bowl and scooped some out for yourself. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm you made my mouth water over gas station fried chicken. <laughs> so incredible and it's like competitions there's like everyone has their favorite you know oh man i'm so glad the move has worked out and that you're feeling so comfortable in your new home sigmund uh now let's talk football uh, i've, I've got to start by asking you about the big news of the week the cleveland brown signing of kareem hunts and uh in the show opening i mentioned that i'm excited about pitchers and catchers reporting this week and now i'm going to awkwardly force a baseball analogy with this kareem hunt signing um, I think fantasy football owners are like power hitters in that we want to see fastballs down the middle. And for 2019 fantasy drafts, Nick Chubb was looking like a belt high fastball down the middle. And, you know, he balled out for the Browns after the Carlos Hyde trade. And it seemed like he was going to be a guy that you could draft in the mid to late first round and just confidently plug in as your RB one. But, you know, unfortunately the NFL likes to give us a diet of, off off speed pitches and you know now Kareem Hunt's there too and while we know that there's going to be some sort of suspension coming for Hunt six games at minimum maybe eight maybe even more we still have to contemplate what the Cleveland backfield might look like in December when fantasy owners are going to be playing the most important games of the season and uh obviously a very tricky situation to assess and there might be dominoes yet to fall but what is your take on the Hunt signing and, and what it might mean for Chubb and for Hunt himself. There's so many layers to peel back here. Um, and first and foremost, and I hate to approach things this way in a cold, sterile, uh, just practical thinking way. And I much prefer to dwell more on the level of the soul or the humanity in the situation or otherwise something that moves and grooves a little bit more than just the actual realities, the blunt realities, like what John Dorsey was looking at. Right. I mean, first of all, we know that Dorsey has a penchant for t taking troubled players and sometimes successfully getting great football out of them. We know that uh, Hunt is in an odd situation as a highly productive, accomplished player, but a, an unrestricted free agent after two years. This doesn't usually happen. Uh, he wanted to get signed. His camp wanted to get signed before the suspension that you alluded to comes out. You know, again, similar between six and the whole season, not six, probably not the whole season, probably you know, 10, six, eight, 10, 12, something like that. Um, so it's not necessarily about hunt as an asset this year, but it does give them you know, his restricted free agent. The CBA kicks back in. He's a restricted free agent next year. They can put a very reasonable tender on him and get a second round pick. If someone signs him to an offer sheet, or have his services. You can never have enough. And the other side of this reality is that, yes, there's going to be a backlash. There could even be protests in week one or beyond at the stadium. Yes, they have to absorb a PR hit. But the I can 
compare the NFL news cycle to a washing machine. And it's just going to, we're going to be talking about something else and talking about something else, something else to be outraged by something else outrageous that the NFL does or that happens in the world of football. And it even wasn't even the biggest story, Pat, it wasn't even the biggest story on the day that it happened. That's true. Uh, well, are you talking about the, what Kyler Murray? Oh yeah. Yeah. The Kyler Murray. So, I mean, there, so, so you have the math of this, like how much of a hit are we going to take? And the other thing is, you know, the Browns are in a beautiful, uh, the most optimistic Browns 2.0 off season ever, basically, except for maybe the one leading up to the first, cause they were just going to be back. So, I don't think you're going to derail that with this signing. Yeah, so you think Chubb's value remains pretty much intact, that Hunt is probably not destined to be a Brown long-term. And and look, let's not overthink this with Chubb. Chubb Chubb should still be going exactly where he was going before this news. Yeah, I'll stand behind that. And this is why. Um, This is First, just remember the size of the pie of this offense is going to keep growing. Okay, Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, this is a franchise in a good situation in terms of money to spend. And it seems like they've got people at the helm now that know how to use those resources to make a good football team and to make a good offense. And Todd Munkin is another reason to be really excited. You have the continuity of Kitchens and the Kitchens Mayfield vibes. But now you have Todd Munkin. Look what he did with Tampa. He did fantasy football magic with Tampa's offense last year. You know, that thing increased exponentially with Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback. So what can he do in Cleveland if everyone's on the same page? So even if Chubb is, say, 50%, and Munkin smartly talked about it in his interview. It's a great interview. I mean, the press conference that you want to have multiple players. You know, think New England. I mean, you want to have a lot of different players you can throw at a defense uh, to keep them off balance. So a backfield with Hunt and Duke Johnson and Chubb, works just fine but there's gonna be enough touchdowns think of new england's offense again there's enough touchdowns and enough production to go around for because the pie so much bigger even if it's divided so there's another slice to hand out chubb is gonna be in a much better offense than he was in last year and he's balling i mean he's the guy and he's he's going to be the guy for this offense still hunt i think this was just a calculation by john dorsey here's a chance to get a good asset cheap the main cost is the pr storm and we'll play dumb and weather that basically to improve our football team and kareem hunt will do that so look mate you're right chuck hunt may week 13 14 15 you know interestingly the the real question is do you take hunt and one of your last round picks and tie up a roster spot for him to see what you get in december but if chubb is still healthy and still a lead back in, in december you that's a win and he'll be the lead back for the first three, two, three months of the season. How many of the lead backs, Pat, weren't there for us in December this year? So I'm not, if Chubb gets my team to the playoffs, helps and is there for me, even if he has to share with Hunt, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it could be Camara owners got such a huge lift in those first three or four weeks before Ingram came back last year. So, and you're getting at least that you're getting six, eight, 10 with Chubb being the uncontested lead back. And it could be a little scary if Hunt is there and is active for those December games. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't think it's going to be a full-scale uh, handing. Well, he's still the – he's the guy whose number gets called at the one-yard line, right? He's the guy whose number gets called in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it has to be. 
that's enough for me to, I mean, he may be my running back two instead of running back one, if those distinctions even matter in December, but I'm still starting him every week, even though maybe my expectations are lower if Hunt is there. So, I mean, it might be, it lowers expectations. I don't think it makes Chubb risky. I don't think Chubb with Hunt in that backfield becomes a risky play week to week. Do you imagine Hunt being flex worthy in weeks 14, 15? Probably. I mean, assuming rational coaching and deployment of Hunt in a way that maximizes his abilities, it puts him in a position to win. I mean, how many touches did he have in some of those big games he had for Kansas City? Like 12, 13, 14 touches and he have a big game. And it's if, if it's a good offense and he's got fresh legs, remember fresh legs against a tired December defense. Uh, sure. Uh, flex worthy, like what the heck flex? I mean, above that, that's what we say on the audible for those players that you know, it could all go wrong. But sometimes when you're thin and by weeks or injuries, you just throw someone in, at least there's a chance. So absolutely. Kareem Hunt is going to be a really interesting player. Um, and uh, again, in the background here, I think the bigger question that this should be directing our attention to, and this it, again, Kansas city, doesn't this just um, smack of like Sammy Watkins coming to San- Kansas city where you're thinking, wow, that's where you're going to invest. Sammy Watkins, what kind of plans do you have on offense? And we saw, and you know, this could also be a tipping uh, the hand that you know they can, and for fantasy, it might be frustrating with outside of Chubb, you know, but they can throw Jarvis Landry and David Njoku and hopefully Duke Johnson and Freddie Kitchens did a lot with two and three running back sets. Uh, Andy Benoit pointed that out. And Belichick, I like this as a related note. Belichick said in his interview with Pepper Johnson that he, Pepper Johnson said that Belichick hates multi back sets. They hates defending multi back sets because his coverage schemes just don't work against them. The combination coverages he does a two back set with two backs who can do a lot of things will break those. Um, so I think why not that be the next innovation? And it may continue. Pat, you've been doing this long enough to remember when running back by committee was the ghost on the horizon, the phantom, like, ooh, it's going to come, it's going to ruin backfields. And now we have, you mentioned Ingram and Kamara, committees where both backs can be valuable, White and Michelle this year, you know, as long as the offense is good. And this might be a really good offense. Sure. We used to fear the two-back committee, and now it's it's not until there are three or four backs in the mix that we start getting nervous. But, uh, God, I would love to see Duke Johnson in some two-back sets. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like he would be perfect for that kind of deployment. So, I mean, you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and the Steelers are a great source of fantasy intrigue for the season ahead because of what would seem to be impending personnel changes. So let's start with Antonio Brown. Uh, You and I are having this conversation on Tuesday, February 12th. And earlier today, Antonio Brown tweeted out a goodbye to Steelers fans. And apparently that preceded a trade request. So clearly he does not expect to be back in Pittsburgh next year. Assuming the relationship between Brown and the team is irreparably damaged at this point, and he does not return. What do you think the ceiling is for Juju? next year and if Antonio doesn't come back is James Washington a good bet to pop this year yeah there's a lot of uh plate tectonics here with the Steelers uh going on um first and foremost I still think with each passing day it becomes more likely that he just ends up playing with the Steelers or alternatively we have a replay of Le'Veon Bell 2018 where he just holds out through the season um it, it, which would as a Steelers fan it's really tough to stomach that, but at the same time, I suppose it would be fitting for the end of this era of the team. Uh, as far as Juju's 
fantasy ceiling, maybe not Antonio Brown. Let's remember Antonio Brown just had the most historic run of production. And some of it's inflated by the era we're playing in. I mean, I'm putting side by side with Jerry Rice or something. I don't know. My point is to say, well, he might not live up to Antonio Brown's numbers isn't saying much. It's just saying he might not be the greatest wide receiver in the game in terms of production next year, but he'll obviously be worth that second round pick. I think is where you have to take him right now. Um, and you, you, the denominator there is just your, the chances that Brown is back and in a Steelers uniform. James Washington, absolutely, in the vein of James Conner, without nearly the payoff of James Conner, but in the vein of James Conner, while all this is going on, proven passing game, proven, you know, the number two produces numbers in this offense. Um, if Brown isn't back, Washington should at least have a Martavis Bryant-like peak and valley because he'll be used in the deep game because he can win those contested balls because of the vertical nature of this offense so those are all good and Vance McDonald might be another interesting name to keep in mind um, or again the idea of another option for that matter um, Jalen Samuels speaking about multi-back sets why not some sets with Jalen Samuels and James James Jalen Samuels proved that he was a very viable player in the NFL not just as a receiver or some sort of H back tight end type. So let's get him more involved too. You know, we'll see if the Steelers can get more creative. So there, there's plenty of players there and chances are they'll go back to the well and in another deep wide receiver class, draft another hit in the third or fourth or fifth round. Um, but I still think I don't see how the Steelers get what they want for him. I don't see uh, how it helps the team to trade him for, you know, like do like a Randy Moss trade for a fourth round, but that doesn't help the team at all. Uh, you either get him to play or you, you make it uncomfortable for him. But uh, either way, something went off the rails here with the Steelers, just like it did with Bell. In no plan, Pat, is this where you want to end up? No, certainly not. Um, where would you like to see Brown land? Well, might selfishly back with the Steelers, but uh, San Francisco is interesting. There's obviously an affinity there. Um, for fantasy, the Colts would be something else uh, in terms of there's that's the thing from a fantasy perspective right now, Pat, you're thinking his ceiling is with the Steeler with everything kiss makeup and we're all okay. I don't think there's any way he can put up the same numbers anywhere else. It's just that connection is cemented. And even if he has a quarterback on the level of Ben Roethlisberger in terms of as, as a passer, there's still chemistry and so many things to be built back up. So, so the Colts are one of the only ones that even come close, I think, to approaching the va- that value. But it's 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 tough, and I think that we could see Antonio Brown's stock take a bigger hit. I think this is still a slightly a sell high moment in terms of the trajectory of his value because what I think people aren't factoring in is the possibility if he go, he's going on uh, social media and saying goodbye to the Steelers fans, you know, the possibility that he really does do a mutually assured destruction thing like bell did and just not play next year. From a fantasy perspective. I mean, the best case is he goes to a team like the Colts or, uh, you know, God forbid the Packers and uh, you know, goes and is in a great offense, but with another top receiver. T.Y. Hilton, Devonta Adams, um, you know, maybe the more likely scenario is he goes to a place like, uh, you know, the Jets, the Raiders with a, uh, you know, less than 
potent offense and you know he does get his alpha receiver role uh i suppose maybe the 49ers are that happy medium where you know a, a potentially very good quarterback in jimmy garoppolo and he'd be the clear alpha receiver although george kittle is gonna probably have a big role too um yeah, talk about alpha yes uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Jalen Samuels because a couple of my recent guests have said that they will be fading James Conner this year, mainly because they think Samuels is too good not to play a significant role. And I know you have been a pretty big James Conner booster in the past. So what's your take on this situation? Well, his current ADP, I'm guessing you're going to have to take him around the turn one, two, looking ahead to 2019 drafts. which is fine. Um, there's some chance that he's a 60% of the backfield back or 70 percent of the backfield back that's like a worst case scenario with the quality of production consistency of production from this offense that still makes connor a, a lead running back one and someone you're leaving in your lineup every week it's not like if jalen samuels is rationally coaching put in the offense to play a larger role that it's going to make connor um, a dud some weeks. I mean, except when the whole offense is a dud, but there's still the chance that they're going to stick with this 85, 90% model that, that has worked for them. Um, and in that case, then Connor's a hit. Connor's going to give you top five production at a price for a late first, early second round pick. Uh, the more interesting side here from a fantasy standpoint. So I, I think I'm fine with Connor. I mean, as long as you, you're putting a chip on the Steelers offense, you like the Steelers offense, offensive line, they lost Munchak, but they got his disciple then you're fine with Connor paying that price. Samuels is still going in the 15th round or like the afterthought rounds. And he, what he showed last year is very promising. And this is also probably a Steelers fan trying to make himself feel better about an offense without Antonio Brown. Yeah, I agree that he's promising. And I wouldn't be surprised if his ADP nudged up as we get closer to the season. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, though, if there is uh, an accompanying... I don't know, uh, crisis of confidence in Connor. I don't think there is going to be a huge one. I think he's still you know, going to be maybe around the turn somewhere in a lot of drafts. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a very interesting situation. Uh, the entire situation in Pittsburgh since, you know, that has just been such a stable offense uh, in the last couple of years. But obviously ending with the you know, Le'Veon Bell departure last year, um, the shakeup continues. Sig, let's talk rookies. I know that you and fellow football guys, Cecil Lammy and Matt Waldman, have been regulars at the Senior Bowl in recent years. Did you go down to Mobile? I guess not down for you anymore, but did you go to Mobile this year? Um, I, I, I made it. I made it there for a morning and afternoon sausage barbecue and just seeing some familiar faces, doing some bro hugs. Uh, but um, not. I'm not full on, and I'm still easing my way into this class although i shouldn't say easing now now it's more like diving into the deep end that the season is over and the combine is coming um but the senior bowl is fantastic so that unofficial nfl convention and it's it, the faces you see in the crowd both familiar faces that you know and also familiar faces that you know from the game is it's it's surreal it's kind of dreamlike uh and mobile so sleepy and dreamlike and i keep hearing these whispers that maybe it's a the clock is ticking on the senior bowl and mobile or speculation so um it mobile has the they have a back and forth between new orleans and mobile is who has the oldest mardi gras both date back to like the 1720s and uh so mobile has some of that same vibe of 
old, something very old that's still around. Yeah, I've uh, I've been to Mobile, and it strikes me as kind of like a knockoff New Orleans, you know, and and Dolphin Street in some ways. Well, it wasn't French. It was in West Florida, so it didn't it didn't quite have that French. It wasn't in Louisiana. It has a different influence, a different bloodline. Yeah, but uh, like the architecture in some ways seems kind of the same, and uh, you know, Dolphin Street has a little bit of the New Orleans vibe, I think. Um, but yeah, so I know you're early in the process, but have you sure. fallen for any of the skill guys from this class yet? Or are you sort of waiting until the combine before you start sending out Valentines? Sure. Um, I'll say this. It's not a great, it's not a great class for the sh- showstopper scene stealer types. Um, it, it, there's still going to be a lot of very useful NFL pros in this class. Um, but I think that from a dynasty rookie draft draft perspective, one, 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 two probably aren't going to be worth as much as they usually are. So it's a good idea before this seeps into the hive mind to maybe try to trade down, try to trade down now or trade for veterans. This might be also be a good class to trade your rookie picks for rookie picks next year. Plus something that can help right now. People usually devalue next year's picks and it, players that are playing in the league now or as we lead up to the rookie draft and overvalue rookie picks. We'll see if that happens again this year or if the overarching narrative is that this is a down year. And it's not really a down year in the sense that remember running back is going to be situated that production. It's funny, Pat, to see after the Super Bowl and the playoffs and talk about, well, running back is interchangeable. And in some ways in fantasy, we've always embraced that because it's the position we know that the situation creates the production as much as the player. Um, and depending on where some of these guys land, they could have good futures ahead of them. Um, but I would say that looking through the early wide receivers, one guy that stands out to me, and I think you're going to see in this wide receiver class, DK Metcalf's going to be number one or number two for most everybody. But then I think you're going to see a lot of variety between, say, like two and ten. Some people will have the, someone two that someone else has at ten and vice versa. So it, it's a good buying opportunity in the, say, second half of the first round to get someone that you may value as the second or third best player in this class. And for me, early on, that player is probably going to be Hakeem Butler, um, who just has that look. He's long limb. He's, he's a long strider, but he's got over the top speed. He's got the massive catch radius and the legit ball skills. Um, he looks like a number one. He looks like someone you can use in all areas of the field, in all game situations. He's got sweet feet in his routes and in his run after catch. Um, you know, there are drops there the same way there are drops like Terrell Owens and Brandon Marshall and, and so on. Uh, but you know, he's a he's a mantis kind of shaped receiver, but still plays with strength. Again, plays with speed. I'm really excited. None of the other guys other than Metcalf have really stood out to me to have the number one potential that Butler has. Yeah, I'm with you on Butler. And that's kind of what I want wide receivers to look like. You know, the AJ Green, wiry, wiry strength. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. I was going to say AJ Green, but I don't want to sound like I'm, my head's But I would say the same thing about Corey Davis when he's on. Sure. Sure. Or I'm like even, you know, Michael Irvin. I mean, I, I want my wide receivers looking sort of lean, but, you know, they're wiry strong, wiry tough. And, you know, it's I guess it's OK to have the occasional cut up wide receivers. A guy looks uh, a guy like Anquan Bolden, 
or, uh, you know, going back further, Sterling Sharp. And those guys were different kinds of receivers. And, you know, like Sterling Sharp was probably as hard to tackle as any wide receiver who's ever played the game. And, uh, you know, we know how tough Anquan Bolden was as a possession receiver. So what are we to make of this photo of DK Metcalf? They made the rounds on Twitter this week. And I mean, this dude right. has muscles on top of muscles. He looks like something out of our friend Jason Wood's comic book collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it, I, by last I checked, Pat, it's football, not bodybuilding. Exactly. I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I think there's something to where you train so hard to optimize your body for football, but that doesn't mean that you just bulk. I mean, the, that doesn't seem like a position to me, wide receiver, where you want somebody to be at their bulkiest. Because you can think of someone's frame in, in this range. NFL is doing this right now. Um, where the trajectory is for their body to be developed in a certain way. And they can see that you know, the player's a sort of block of granite or marble. And they can see the sculpture they're going to create. Um, that's not the sculpture I would create for a wide receiver. A vertical wide receiver segment. Um, yeah. I mean, that being said, I mean, I don't think it should materially change what you think of him. And my Metcalf is going to be fun for us to watch because he really is polarizing when you start looking at the camps that we use to project and predict in our little sandbox. And I think he checks, he's going to check the measurables athleticism box, which maybe five or six years ago was fighting its way into the conversation to say that it can be a, a key material determinative factor. Um, he's obviously, I think going to check the box of, if you just use like, what does the NFL think? NFL thinks he may should be, I mean, at least he's probably the favorite right now to be the first wide receiver off the board, depending on his medicals, how his medicals check out. Uh, it's just the production. And I think that we, the market share and market share analysis is great. I mean, there's a lot of things where people will push hard to introduce something into the vocabulary of things we should be aware of and think about when we think of a player and their range of outcomes, but it isn't definitive. Uh, It's a, it adds context. So really market share is great, but we have a situation like what we have at Ole Miss with three wide receivers in the same draft or Georgia because Riley Ridley's another one where the because the market share is not there then people see that as a real knock but the other boxes are going to be checked and there has to be an exception for market share when there's a certain amount of NFL bound talent you know like Martavis Bryant was barely included in Clemson because of who was there so we have to make those exceptions but I think both of those players Metcalf and Ridley are going to help us update market share but market share divided by the amount of NFL talent we aren't going to hold it against a player when they go to a top program and have to compete with top talent where somebody else can have a massive market share because they're not doing that sure someone on Twitter noted this week uh, Josh Jacobs lack of 100 yard games well you know, he's got Damian Harris and Najee Harris in the same backfield. So, uh, you know, just the deployment. And, and, you know, you mentioned the Ole Miss wide receivers and the fact that three of these guys are going to be playing in the NFL. So I think you absolutely have to take that into account. Um, Sig, so let's talk about podcasting for a second and more specifically fantasy football podcasts. Uh, you and Cecil Lammy were basically the Lewis and Clark of fantasy football pods, uh, exploring 
previously uncharted territory and creating a map for future settlers like myself. Um, so what does Sigmund Bloom make of the current landscape where seemingly everyone has a pod these days? It's good. I think that the it is the promised land of democratization of media. I started out at Syracuse at the Newhouse School in broadcast journalism because that's where I wanted to be a sports caster, a sports talker. And that's where they all went, or so many of them went. And within a year and a half, I had figured out that broadcast journalism, at least as it was embodied as a, a career path and track, wasn't for me. Uh, and then I come back 10 years later to a media where, I mean, because when I say democratization, what I mean is we didn't elect the sports anchors or play-by-play -play guys. They they were chosen by a different sort of process. Uh and the internet breaks down barriers to entry. It so greatly scales down costs to distribute what you have to the whole world that anybody who wants to can put something out there and see what comes back. You know, like the message in the bottle in the ocean and what see what comes back. So it's beautiful. Um, and I think that we see Pat with every new layer, like every time this thing sheds its skin and grows more uh, different. You know, like what I would think would come next, Pat is being really open-minded to the format, like throw the format out, you know, now we can start really expressing ourselves with what we have here. And I think as we do, as we've done on the show, Pat, um, use fantasy football as the handshake maybe, but really, the format dictates that we're just human beings connecting our consciousnesses are connecting and that can go in any direction that we want it to. That's actually the itch that's getting scratched more than fantasy football advice or something like that. I think it's really taken that on and um, it it's, it's something that excites me to see and excites me to think about what's coming next. I like how you have evolved too with uh, your pods and especially on the couch where you know, used to be two guests, and right. then, you know, maybe you thought it was a, a bit of a cacophony with, you know, that many voices and having to ping pong it around. And, and now it's just one and you can kind of get deeper into subjects and philosophies and not feel like you're always pressed for time. And uh, I, I love how you've gone to the cold open, which is uh, just, it's kind of a great way to jump into the pod. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so you've evolved with the times. Um, when exactly did you and Cecil and Matt Waldman and Gene Brammel first start doing this? When were the first podcasts? 2006, I think. 2006 was when Cecil and I talked on the phone about the draft for about three hours. And he said, do you want to do this and record it? And he actually, I think, put the headset of the phone up to a cassette recorder. And that's you know how we got our first audio. And I think we did that show three or four times before we finally got the audio. Um, Matt came on when he joined Football Guys, which I want to say is 2007, maybe 2008, but I think 2007, not that long after. Gene, not that long after either. Um, and it was still uh, the time. We had a lot of beat writers on. That was a really exciting thing we did. Um, and we didn't want to use the word fantasy, Pat. We just, I don't think Cecil and I ever even discussed it. That we're not going to ask a fantasy question or mention fantasy teams or mention that this is really envisioning taking the, some of this intel and using it for your fantasy edge. We just wanted to talk football with them because we, because fantasy was still um, the children's table at the Thanksgiving dinner, you know, uh, and, and now we're serving the meal. 
uh, were the spice on the meal. I don't know how this metaphor is going to work. Finish it for me. <laughs> so what were those first episodes like? I mean, I think I, I discovered you guys not long after and, and thought, you know, it's just such a new a new world and, and so fantastic to be able to hear these guys talking about football and, you know, not in a uh, not in a network structured, uh, I don't know, homogenized, airbrushed sort of way. Um, but were those first episodes sort of rough? Was it uh, did it take a while for you guys to get your sea legs? What was rough was the technology. Well, inventing, Cecil was kind of inventing the technology to capture the audio. And then eventually we got to Skype was a brand new thing around that time. And you felt like you wanted to cross yourself or light a prayer candle, make some sort of offering before every time we would do a show because Skype was uh, very inconsistent early. Blog talk radio, I know people know what I'm talking about when I say blog talk radio. Uh, Just you never knew sometimes whether you were going to actually finish your show. So that part was rough. But Cecil had already been on the radio in Denver. I had been playing, practicing my whole life. I practically lived my life like I was on air, not in the way when I was in broadcast journalism, there are people you would encounter that were there. You couldn't, there was not a boundary between their broadcast persona and their persona. Uh, So when I say that, I don't think, I hope not. That's for y'all to judge that. I don't think I'm doing that. I, I'm just that ego much. I, Pat, I walked around when I was a kid with my tape recorder and interviewed my family like they were on my talk show, you know. Um, so we just like to hear the sound of our own voices and our own opinions. So it was it was just like as easy as, you know, falling asleep or standing under the hot shower or something when we were projecting out this idea. I guess we didn't even need to really talk about what it was going to be because we both had this sense of being a football talker, being um, being somebody who takes the way that we consume football and turn it into something that is a, a handshake or an op- open door for people to walk through and join the conversation. And the easy rapport that you and Cecil have. I mean, you guys are, are just, you know, so good together. And obviously, a lot of that springs from friendship. But... Um, you know, the fact that you both have this sort of background, him with radio, you with, uh, you know, knowing that broadcasting in some form was something you wanted to do and knowing that for a long time. But, uh, you know, it, it does seem like the friendship with you and Cecil is part of what has made the Audible so great for all these years. Well, it's funny you say that, Pat, because I think some of the friendship has grown through the making of the show. Um we've spent so much time together. I mean, we're, we're work married, you know, um, we know each other very well and, and, and we like and embrace what we've learned about each other, but I, that doesn't always go like that in a workplace environment when you work closely with people. So that the friendship has grown, but I think where it really comes in and crosses over Pat is that we get stuff from people. And again, I'm going to take a moment out to say for anybody that's listening, like my mom would say, if you don't, all of our mothers would teach us, if you don't have something nice to say, then don't say anything. But if you have something nice to say, say it. Uh, because we, you just don't know the impact it can have on another person when you just say something positive that you've perceived. Um, and we get these notes from people. And I know Pat is somebody that creates the, the content we do. Like when you hear from somebody and they just sincerely tell you, even if it's not always po- all positive, sometimes it can be like feedback and saying, like, I didn't like this. And why did you go off when you did this in this episode? Really, you know, I liked everything you did except this. Um, but it, 
it fills you up with something, you know, you, you, yourself, your soul kind of responds to it. And we get these notes from people that say, I had to go back for someone's funeral or life has been rough right now, lost my job. There's a lot of that around like 2009. Right. And it's listening to your show like helps. And I always say fantasy football is therapy, mostly for us, like white dudes, you know, uh, group therapy in some ways. Um, and that thing, this, the show Cecil and I getting together to do the show on this regular schedule that we've done now for 12, 13 years is that for us too. It, it, it's a, it's a lifesaver that we cling to sometimes when the seas get rough for us. So I think because it's that for us, we all, everybody in the community can kind of rally around that. And I think in essence, podcasts and pod, the growth of podcasts, it's again, it's funny that we can, we can go full circle with this pack going back to vinyl, right? Cause it's almost like sensory deprivation, right? You get in a sensory deprivation tank and all these things from your subconscious emerge and you start working out stuff that you're jammed up about or something like that. Um, and when you're just listening to someone's voice and you're not getting any visual input and maybe you are like washing the dishes or doing something, driving to work, but your consciousness is being immersed, not just in what someone is saying or the, mental picture they're drawing with their words but their voice their vibration if you will and the podcast give us that sense of not being alone uh, and that feeling i think is there for cecil and i through the friendship and through the presence of the show in our life the same way it is for the people who listen to it yeah very well said and um you know i almost get a, a sense of that with you guys. I mean, all these other pods are so relatively new. And, um, you know, whenever I listen to you guys, it, it's like, there's this history there. I've been, you know, listening faithfully to you guys for like 10 or more years. So, um, you know, and, and that's something you guys are always going to have. You guys were the, you know, the, uh, early trailblazers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised you have that kind of loyalty with your listenership. All right, Sigmund. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, the, coming full circle to vinyl. And uh, I know what an audio file you are. And I would be remiss as we come to the end of our session together if I did not ask you about what you've been listening to lately. Has the has the move to New Orleans influenced the playlist at all? More jazz, more Zydeco? Right. Well, it's 99 cent records, which means always back. And I would probably say I'm such an old man now that I would say there was more good music that was made in the 60s and 70s than I can find. So if I just stay there in the six, the 99 cent bin, cause I'm on trying to, I'm only trying to buy records that were released when vinyl was the format so that it was mixed and conceived of for vinyl um, and just making albums. So a lot of records, um, trying to think you know the best record of all the records i found for 99 cents was a, a rufus with shaka khan record from like 1973 or 74 so good she's such a badass she's one of the most under she's gonna be here for jazz fest one of the most underrated true badasses in the music industry um in the same way like samuel jackson is in the film industry um i, I always am listening to giles peterson on bbc and he's bringing the best new stuff from like world music and and hip-hop and jazz and things like that um i am excited i'm listening i listened it was dilla day on february 7th jay dilla um and i think his birthday and the day that donuts came out i might be wrong about that I listened to a lot of dilla last week um there was something really good a suite for ma dukes that i had just discovered recently i feel 
um, lame saying that because it came out like 10 years ago and it was a Miguel Atwood Ferguson doing like orchestral arrangements of Jay Dilla songs and then they would have like the actual MCs during the live performance come in and, and rap over them from like some of the original songs it was incredible um, and Kamasi Washington is coming for Jazz Fest to do a show at 2 a.m. have you ever gone to a concert at 2 a.m. Pat? No <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited and interested to see like what kind of vibes are going to be out there at 2 a.m. That's awesome. I've, I've been to some ones where people played late. I think Prince might have broken the uh, Chicago curfew yeah. in his uh, three-night residency at the United Center like six, seven years ago. I'm so jealous. Yeah, that was a good one. But uh, Sig, I love talking music with you, a guy who can appreciate Rufus and Chaka Khan and jazz greats and Radiohead and Fish. And uh, you have some very eclectic tastes, my friend. Oh, I was just going to say, Sig, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I know you could have been spending your afternoon sipping chicory coffee in some yeah. quaint little New Orleans cafe, but uh, I always love talking football and music with you and so glad you were able to join me here. Oh, so so glad that you reached out. And, and I know we'll talk again. I'll have to have you. Uh, the couch, you can smell the chicory in the air. We'll open up the window when you, and you come back to the couch so you can you can smell it. Or maybe I'll just do the show from that cafe from now on. It'll be from the cafe instead of on the couch. Uh, it, it, no, it's great. And I think that uh, it's so easy and comfortable to talk to you. And I'm, I'm great. It's great seeing you out there and what you're contributing. And you said a lot of very kind things. And certainly this fantasy football community, I think we all have this mutual respect and admiration where we think, well, if you are somebody that likes consuming what I do, then I must be doing something right. And I think we all like pass that um, token of appreciation around to each other. And it's fun in this off season. And again, the juices are flowing already with Kareem Hunt and the Steelers and, and Kyler Murray in the draft and thinking about how all the wheels turn, which is that's one of the things that we can't uh, um, forget either is it remains stimulating. So we always have something to talk about other than, you know, what we would lay on the, literally on the couch for our therapist and talk about, we can just talk about football instead. Indeed. It never ends. Sig, thanks again. We'll talk soon. My friends, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Let me once again, thank this week's guest, Sigmund Bloom football guys, find him on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. And thank you to my producer, Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Calm just turned 30 this week, so if you want to wish the young fella a belated happy birthday, find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And thank you to my partner in crime over at thefootballgirl.com, Melissa Jacobs. Be sure to check out her podcast, the eponymously titled The Football Girl Podcast, and go find Melissa on Twitter at The Football Girl. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank you, dear listener. I am eternally grateful to you and your ears, and I would be honored if you would join me again next week when I'll be back with another great guest. And in the meantime, if you wanted to subscribe to this show on iTunes and maybe even give it a rating and a review, well now, I would not try to talk you out of it. Thanks again, everyone. Adios, amigos. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. 
Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.